Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're so glad you joined us today. We're excited to have Klaus Yamber here with us today at Spirituality Adventures. Thank you, Klaus, for joining us. Absolutely, thanks for letting me. Yeah, Klaus is a singer, songwriter, musician, uh, somebody that I've followed for years. Um, he has toured and performed on most of the continents in the world. I think all but Antarctica. Yes, in South America. So invite me if there's a gig. <laughs> uh, he's been on German MTV. He's performed before crowds of 10,000 plus people. He's done worship in people's living rooms. He, he's quite the, the artist and I'm, I'm so pleased to count him as a friend. Likewise, thank you. So thanks for being with us, Klaus. Yeah, so let's start with your kind of origin story, where you're born, and then kind of bring us up to how you and I first met. Um, I was born in, in, in northern Germany, and um, I mean, my, my upbringing was a journey as well because we moved around, and then we lived in, in Texas, actually, from when I, when I was five to about nine, and then moved back to Germany, then I moved back to the States when I was about 17, then I moved back to Germany when I was about 18, and then moved back to America when I was 21, and then I moved back to Germany, and then, you know, it was just a lot of back and forth. and. Um, why were you in Ger in America as a German when you were five to nine? Um, my dad is uh, or was um, a German military, right? And um, a lot of Americans don't know this, but there's a lot of foreign troops on your soil, just like American troops are somewhere else. And um, so, yeah, my dad was um, uh, Air Force and then flying Navy. So he was instructed in America. He was taught how to fly, and then he was called back as an instructor to to a NATO base. There you go. Texas, German <laughs> Texas, man. All right. <laughs> I like Texas. I'm not going to lie. Texas is great. Yeah. I lived there for eight years going to, you know, Baylor and yeah. Southwestern Seminary. So I stayed there long enough to like, like a lot of people, but kind of like, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to make this my permanent home. But anyway, <laughs> I like the heat. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I would like to live in a world where all I wear is flip flops. Yeah. And, you know, we'd go down to Austin mm -hmm. from Waco back when Austin wasn't a, a huge town, yeah. but it was still the, the funnest, closest town to Waco other than Dallas. But right. we we kind of we always hit Austin for some Austin reason. is great. Yeah. yeah. Austin's fun, fun place. Yeah. So uh, so what what bounced you back here at 21? Um, I was um, helping out at a church plant. Um, it was it was a I was without direction, as many 21-year-olds are, and um, there was a church plant in Georgia that um, needed someone to help out and, and do some music. And so I just, you know, just, just went there and volunteered and did, did whatever I had to do. And um, a lot of it was great and a lot of it was fun, but I was also thankful when it was over. <laughs> <clears throat> 
I've heard some of your stories from your yeah. Georgia experience. Crazy. And, I mean, it's, I don't want to dog on anyone in Georgia. I um, <laughs> love the people in Georgia. My, my mom's from Georgia. My brother lives in Georgia. I love Georgia. There's nothing, I mean, I love peaches and um, and Atlanta is a great city. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. Oh man. Um, the new Hollywood. Yes, the new Hollywood. Mm. And I'm a huge fan of The Walking Dead. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but yes, uh, Christianity and, and I, you know, have also been on that journey where um, I connected with God um, as a kid. And my parents really had nothing to do with it. I mean, I didn't grow up in a Christian home per se, but my mom would pray with my brother and I in the evenings. And... Um, as a as a young child, I just took that very serious. And so when I was playing in the yard, I started to play with God. I didn't know anything. I didn't know really any Bible stories or anything. I just was communicating with this ominous being that I had heard of in those prayers and where I you know, just didn't think about it. Hmm. Um, I didn't have any questions about it either. You know, I just uh, started talking to him and playing with him. And um, it was extremely real to me. And, um, but it also laid a foundation where I can connect with God without necessarily an intermediary. Where um, later on, then when we moved back to Germany, it was, um, there, was a, there was a church um, quite close and I started to drag my family there. And that's when the, when the, uh, when the trouble started and I saw the, the um, God's ground personnel starting to fight and bicker and just put rules on people and put conditions on um, being in or out of the inner circle. And um, and it didn't really connect with me because my relationship was from playing in the yard with God. Hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, that's that laid the groundwork for uh, lots of stress. Interesting. <laughs> so you literally go from playing in the yard with God and sort of having this intimate, personal kind of relationship to jumping into a church and all of a sudden you're immersed in church politics. Yes. Church pettiness. Yes. Church dogma. Yes. Like a lot of the things that many of us aren't really all that fond of. <laughs> yeah. And um, I mean, I mean, to be quite honest, when I was nine years old, I could care less about dogma. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I. Um, I think I got saved every weekend because every altar call that said, do you want to give your life to Christ? It's like, well, of course I do. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. still want to do it again today. Yes, of course <laughs> I will. Um, yeah, I ran up for everything. Um, and of course I was a sponge to all the information, which then I didn't question. Um, but what I did question was the way that people treated one another and how some people suddenly thought they were closer to God than others because because there were behavioral or belief differences, which those didn't make any sense right. to me. Like if somebody didn't do something, they were closer to God. Right. Or if somebody had the right belief about a particular thing, they were closer to God. Yeah, and in those this, kind of things. In this particular circumstance, at first, again, I was nine years old. This is what I remember. It wasn't so much about the don'ts as it was about the do's and about the how much are you praying? How much are you reading your Bible? How much are you doing this? And if you didn't, um, live up to someone's standard then suddenly you weren't in and i again i was quite young so um maybe now i was 10 or 11 but um i was taught 
in different circumstances that I need to, you know, pray and have a conversation with God for at least an hour a day. Then I need to read my Bible for an hour a day. Then I need to do intercession for an hour a day. And then since this was kind of Pentecostal background, then later also to speak in tongues for an hour a day. Well, that's four hours. <laughs> um, so, so I actually got up that early to try to do all these things. Wow. Um, I'm impressed. And when I would fall asleep in the middle of that, I would punish myself to adding that time that I fell asleep the next day. Because of course I had to get up and go to school at some point. Oh my goodness. Um, needless to say, I had a huge middle finger growing on my forehead really quickly because this had nothing to do again with the God that I met when I was younger, when I was a kid. Mm, interesting. Wow. Uh, and this was a church in Germany. Yes. Like up on the north coast or like near Schleswig or something. Yeah, like exactly. That? Yeah. Okay. On the Baltic. Yeah. And then when, so that was kind of going on. When was, when did your music interest pe uh, begin? When like, um, I guess I started playing piano over here, actually, when I was five, started taking lessons. Um, and I remember there was, again, this is, I'm older, right? This is the, the 80s. I remember at one of these churches that we went to then, under the table, the guy who's, back then, you know, we had these, these it wasn't bookstores yet, it was just a table where the, all the books were sold. And under the table, one of these guys was selling a striper record. <laughs> it was to hell with the devil. And <laughs> striper, man, I haven't heard of that name in a while. <laughs> awesome. Wow. And so I got that record and it completely changed my life. And I was like, why am I playing the piano? I want to scream into a microphone and play electric guitar, which, you know, then I, I didn't do the electric thing, but um, I did pick up the guitar a little bit and I started to sing and I was terrible at it. And um, yeah, it took me to get, you know, past a certain puberty stage <laughs> to finally find a voice. There you go. <laughs> but after that, yes, I mean, I just always wanted stage, didn't matter what. Probably if there would have been doors open for acting, I probably would have gone that route. Um, but music opened sooner and there were more opportunities to do that. And mm. so I just jumped on every stage that was there anywhere anything like to the point of if, if there was a stage there was a banana eating contest i went on that stage because i wanted to be on stage so bad hmm. interesting now was your family musical did any did or is it just your mom kind of wanted you to do piano because she didn't do piano or something or what uh, it's kind of the thing to do you know, uh, you're, you're, if your kids yeah. have musical interests, you 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 give well, them my lessons. My mom tried to get, make me take piano, and I hated it. So I yeah yeah. Oh, I she hated finally it. gave up. I but. hated it <laughs> because they made me play things that I didn't want to play. Remember, I liked Striper, yeah. right? And then I had to play Mozart. How do you play Striper? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just doesn't work. <laughs> and um, it took me till my beginning twenties until I started to appreciate um, classical music. Yeah. Um, now I love it. Now I have that running around the house the entire entire time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, back then, no, I wanted glam metal, mm -hmm. which I never did as a musician. But still, you know, it was, right. it was the eighties. Yeah. So you you your your beginning music then your kind of the stuff that you were doing 
early on mm-hmm. was church worship yes contemporary type worship music that kind of stuff or yes and i was playing keyboards for people or you know doing backup vocals and um Mm -hmm. and even then you know it got clicky really quickly where um you know the church politics of who was in and allowed to sing a song was again behavior based and was based around who would be conformed to whatever opinions or uh directions that leader had and um If there is a God and I can connect with them, which I think I can, or at least I try, um, then someone else hearing direction for me that I can't, you know, when I try to seek God and there is no confirmation in that, then that's just terrible. And it's, I think it's then just pure manipulation. And um, that's kind of what I encountered a lot during my teen years there. And um Again, that's when that middle finger grew on my forehead because it had nothing to do with the God that I met when I was a child. Um, Because that God did not have the pressure, that God did not have the conditional things around it. You know, he just, I just played with them Mm. and often it was superheroes. So yeah, then then I got kicked off of worship teams frequently for the silliest things. Um, I had long hair, very, very long hair, striper, right? And um, then one day, one of the pastors came to me and said, you know, I think, I think you, you should cut your hair because you are too focused on the optical and you're focused on, you know, that's part of your identity and you're just getting too much out of it. So I handed him clippers and that instant said, well, then shave it off. Well, the other pastor fired me the next day because something must be wrong with me emotionally <laughs> if I had just shaved my hair off. And it's just these stupidities hmm. um, that really quickly made me made me want to leave the local body. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I got involved in other ways um, because I do believe in community and I do believe in, in connecting with people. But yeah, these structures, sometimes they just piss me off. Mm. When did you start writing your own music? Was it during the same, same um, period? Well, I started writing music, I guess, immediately, even if it was just really simple melodies and experimenting with it. Um, actually writing songs, I was probably like 16, 17. Okay. Around that time. And were the were you writing worship stuff at that time? No. No, okay. it wasn't it wasn't worship stuff. It was it was just songs. Okay. Um but I mean I I have a disconnect with that word anyway. I mean I know it's a genre and mm-hmm. I get it the vertical connection where it's, you know, um people singing together. Mm-hmm. Um congregational. But I was um I was always convinced and I remember being you know, taught everywhere I went, you know, worship is a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And um, so anything I sing about to me is an expression of worship. If I, if I sing about a breakup and if I sing about myself messing up and if I sing songs about self-mutilation and when I sing songs about depression, they are all part of my life, which if it's supposed to be worship, then I also consider them that mm-hmm. while the 
vertical congregational songs are just that, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's a weird hierarchy that we we put yeah. in, in in the spirituality of of, of our right. songs. Um, like I I don't know what to do with the term Christian music either. It's mm -hmm. music done by a Christian, or is it targeted to a Christian audience? I think it's just a marketing thing. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, I I've spent the last you know there was a time in my life where I would only listen to Christian music hmm. because. When I was in college, I had there was kind of this idea floating around. This was in the '80s, where you know, um, secular music would lead you astray, and if you played it backwards, some of it had even like demonic messages on it. If you played it backwards, right? And uh, you know, I was a young kid, and I, I. I just come to faith in Jesus and I was like, oh, well, crud. So I threw away all of my old rock albums, which I had, which I had back now. Yeah. And um, and there was a season there where I didn't listen to much. And, and it just so happened that that season was kind of like the hairband season because mm -hmm. <laughs> I was kind of a prog rock guy. Right. But um, I eventually just and I don't I don't mean this because I, I still will listen to what people would call uh, worship of Christian music, but I would say the majority of the music I listen to isn't in that genre. Right. And um, and I remember in the 80s, I, I started listening to U2, REM, and a few of those bands, and then I just kept at it, you know, and then I kind of got, I, I really liked the grunge scene, and then, you know, and so I, since then, I've been listening to just all kinds of music. And I love I love that perspective that you just shared because I do think all of life is spiritual. And and so God yeah. if God's if God exists and he's involved in everything. Yeah. And and then all that music that you write is intimately yeah. tied with with your spirituality and with God and and so yeah, I kind of like blurring the genres, right? Yeah. And, that's kind of cool. I like that. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting when I look at royalty statements and, you know, there would be, I'm just, you know, picking titles, but there'll be the song Jesus and Me and the next song's called Sexy Bitch because I wrote for some dance label, right? And then the next song's gonna be whatever else. And it's just like, huh, well, this looks really schizophrenic, but it isn't. <laughs> it isn't because it all belongs together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that, let, let's talk about that a bit because you, so you started out writing all different kinds of songs and you've really kept that up your whole life, right? Yeah. You haven't ever just written in one genre. Let, what are all, let's talk about some of those genres that you've <laughs> written in. That's kind of fun. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I one would probably have to start excluding the genres that yeah. might be easier. I haven't written jazz. I don't, I don't do jazz. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mind jazz, but I don't understand it. Um, it's, you know, when, 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 when I listen to jazz and someone says this song is better than the other one, I don't necessarily agree. And whenever I need to, when, whenever I was invited to write something jazzy, I always made it more poppy. Mm. So I actually ruined it. And um, so, yeah, let's take that out. Um, I mean, I've, I've scored, I've done you know, classical stuff, I've, um, I've done lots of advertising stuff. I've done a lot of EDM. I've done a lot of rock. I've done a lot of pop. Um, 
have one country-esque thing that got pitched once that actually worked that went was in a television show for a spell or might still be who knows um so yeah um but yeah i shouldn't be writing country that's silly but funk did a lot of that okay i do remember did you do did you do hard rock hairband rock that kind of stuff yeah i did i did Uh um but but more the beginning 2000s which i guess the hair was shorter back then but my hair was long again um or the 90s mm-hmm. style I, I i've always wanted to do like a def leopardy project but um <laughs> but i was just born 20 years too late that's funny, <laughs> that's funny. so when we first met um i'm trying to think in how old were you when we first met that would have been late 90s right um 23 probably mm-hmm. around then okay 22 23 yeah and i think a friend of ours introduced us to each other mm-hmm. um philip o'reilly who's a pastor in the northland area yeah just bumped into him the other day at, at the coffee shop so he's a good guy yeah um but uh yeah i can't remember what the connection was there but F- philip I, I don't know how we anyway something came about well, what I do remember um, was whatever the first connection was, you inviting me to 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 play at a camp. I think it was a youth camp yeah. somewhere. Um, who knows where it was? In Kansas somewhere. Yeah, I have I have no idea. I was I was on a bus and I uh-huh. I don't remember anything else about it. But what I do remember is um, that we housed together. Yeah, we were roommates in a bungalow type situation where we experienced one of the plagues. Right, um. serious. Like it's, it's to this day, it's still the, the worst bug thing I've ever seen in my life. We had, um, we had a centipede infestation, if that's the right word. It was the most bizarre thing I've ever and seen. And literally it was a floor that was crawling with centipedes. You couldn't see the floor. Um, we vacuumed them away and they would just come out of the walls and that out was of the floor, crazy. It, it could have been a horror without, film. Yes, without squishing them and yeah, I mean crunching we, them when you get out of the shower. Yes, I mean it was. I never seen anything like this in all my life. <laughs> but it was a bonding moment. Oh God, it's <laughs> <laughs> funny. Yeah, and so you, you, uh, and that was when in your twenties, and you were kind of bouncing around then between yeah. America and in Europe it yeah. seemed like and you were you were and you started at some point I remember getting into cuz I remember your your MTV yeah season when was that um 2003 and 4 I think around okay. that time maybe a little bit of 5 um yes I was the the late 90s beginning 2000s I was still um Still, I was running the gauntlet of going through churches, um, leading worship, to use uh-huh. that term. Um, I'm going to say leading the singing, um, leading the singing at churches. Um, but then after 9-11, things got more complicated and things already that got more divided and political. And um, there's just a lot of the games that I couldn't play anymore. Um, but then, 
um, suddenly doors opened of publishing contracts and management contracts and record contracts and some recording and then tours and um, some charge success and um, was this mostly in Europe that this was this, taking this place? Was, this was all in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. This was all in Europe. And so I didn't really, I mean, I think I still did like some stints, like some some concerts in the US, but mm -hmm. but it was mostly in Europe then. Yeah. Um, so you're basically, and were you writing in, were these German songs that you were writing or were they both well, English and German? And when you were touring your- they were They were all in English because, I mean, if you look at Europe as a market, um, now, the German-speaking market itself is kind of goes back and forth between the second and third largest market when it comes to music. Um, but if you want to do Europe, there's more languages. And so the default, especially in that time, was going to the Latin of the age, which is English. And, um, and so, yeah, if you have the idea of wanting to cross the borders of, of the German-speaking market, you have to or at least back then we thought you had to then do English. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, so you you were literally, you're, you're a rock star touring in yeah, Europe. A little bit. There was a, there was a day in the sun. <laughs> it sure acted like one, I know. <laughs> that was, yeah. I remember you popping in on a few occasions yeah. to Kansas City during this time, stayed at our house and, uh, and you know, I, I always enjoyed the stories. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, I think I came through Kansas City on a tour in 2005, I wanna say. I was on a bigger uh, tour here in the US with uh, several other CCM bands. And um, for, for those who don't know, CCM. Oh yeah, contemporary Christian music. There we go. Um, and again, I wanna, I, I don't wanna call it Christian music, it's just so weird. It's music done by Christians for an audience of Christians, um, which sounds like I mean that in a, in a demeaning way. I don't, I just wanna be honest about it. Um, yeah, People well, would walk up to me and say, thank you for your ministry. And it's like, I'm getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. Yeah. I've it's, done ministry my whole life and I, I have paid my bills. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. But still, you know, when, when I look at other people who are I don't know, changing diapers on people in hospitals and I'm on the stage getting applause and, sure. and, and making money and then calling it a, a ministry, just, just it's my job. Let's just call it that. Let's just call it that. Yes, I still, um, you know, I have an intention of it be having a positive influence on people. I have, an, yeah. I have a good intention behind it. Sure. But somehow ministry sounds self-sacrificial. None of what I did was self-sacrificial. Okay. Well, but you were following <laughs> your heart. Yes. And, I'm, and you were using your gifts. Yes. Yeah. And you were, and people, you, you probably had some really positive impact on people's lives. I'm glad, I hope so. You know? Yes. I think you probably, I, I know you did. Well, thank you. I know you did. So, I was one of them. Well, <laughs> well yeah. you can thank me for my ministry. Yeah, and, it, and if, if I'd have followed your advice, I would have never left, you know, I'd have never gotten off the rails. I would yeah. have stayed on the straight and narrow and all that, at any rate. Um, so, yeah, so you, so you kind of got this, um, you, you you got some good success in Europe, 
with your uh, touring and your music and MTV and all that kind of stuff. But then you still in America, you came and networked with this CCM crowd. Yeah. Is that right? And so in America, you weren't really touring your your European rock band stuff, right? No, I, I never really did that here. In um, America, you were touring mostly with connections that you had in the CCM world. Is that yes. is that a good way? Can we say it that way? Yes, we can definitely say it that way. Um, even though the difference wasn't necessarily the songs, I did play the same songs here. Okay. Um, maybe not all the same songs, but um, I just didn't. I didn't tour with a with a large band with a big light show um, back then, tearing my clothes and burning them on stage and whatever, trying to be flamboyant as possible. Which I'm not against that at all. Right. It was just it was it was a different environment and a different. We're culture. gonna have to find a video clip of that and, and uh, roll it on this podcast for people who are viewing by YouTube. Right. Yeah. All this is way before YouTube. Um, thank God. Um, who knows the atrocities will be on there. Uh, but um, but yeah, I do remember on on that tour and my good friend Paul Coleman tells the story a lot. Um, there was oops, sorry. I know I'm not supposed to do this, right? Um, there was on, on one of the tours here, there was a show in Minneapolis in a club where I didn't know that all the other artists months in advance had to send in their lyrics and they were forbidden to sing like a in the name of love by, you know, you uh, two, um, because it was a secular song, whatever that means. But, you know, they were just it was denied. Oh, wow. Where well, was like, this at? In Minneapolis. Like some kind of club? Yeah. Like a Christian like a, a club. A Christian club, yeah. Okay. Huh. And um, so I go up on stage. I don't know any of this. And I say, I am so honored to be in the city of one of my heroes. And I just want to, you know, sing this in honor of, of, of Prince. And then I, then I sang Kiss. And um, <laughs> the organizers almost had a heart attack. And um, they, they bring out the holy water and the other their crosses yeah. start trying to so yeah, exercise was, the kiss out of you. And then, I mean, I, I mean, there's just been some some of these weird encounters and they're all my fault because I just didn't understand the culture enough. Um, so in 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 Nashville, when you go on tour with these bands, usually before the tour starts, you you know, you, you do like a practice run through like several, obviously, of all these things. And there's like coaches in an audience and it's a stage. You imagine there's an audience and, you know, they tell you, well, if you do these moves, it might look better from my perspective and all these different things. Well, there I am playing guitar for um, Paul Coleman, who had a very spiritual moment on stage, was actually getting into the song. He's on his knees doing whatever he's doing. But I'm thinking this is a rehearsal. I don't care. Um, so I was. And I just lit up a cigarette right there in that building, which was before it was forbidden. And with all these CCM people there, just not knowing what the heck was happening and why am I doing what I'm doing? And I just didn't know. I, I just came from that different world in Europe where yeah. I probably would have had a bottle of vodka in my hand. And, um, <laughs> it's, it was just, it was weird. Um, but it was my, I don't even know if it was my ignorance. It was ignorance mixed. It was stubbornness mixed with ignorance it was a deliberate looking the other way and don't not minding being provocative i see yeah yeah that sounds like the class i know yeah probably <laughs> <laughs> uh that's good 
<laughs> well, that's what I love about you. <laughs> it's my ministry. <laughs> that's what I love about you. That's awesome. Yes, that sounds like the Coloss I know for sure. For sure. Well, that's cool, though. I like that. I think that's why I love you. Well, thank you. Um, so. But w- let me just add this. Yeah. But one of the things that um, drove me away, like after one of these tours here, so. So I got a contract from the promoter and it basically gave the, the guidelines and the, um, the standards and the rules for being on the road. Um, some of them were rather obvious, you know, it was like coming from Europe, this makes no sense to me, but knowing that the Christian world back then was like no alcohol, no, no smoking, no profanity, no girlfriends and no hotel nudity rooms, no nudity oh. it was terrible for me and um you know all these different things oddly it didn't mention overeating but um that's all right or being prideful but but it, it had all these behavioral things and you know i know i knew i want to gossip or backbiting or, exactly. or you know whatever yes, that was all allowed um encouraged in fact. <laughs> so i signed uh. it i signed it because i thought well when i'm when in Rome, do as the Romans, whatever, you know, I'm trying to not not be difficult about these things. Um, so I thought, it's, it's all right, I can do this. Um, you know, I can not be naked for a spell, I'm just kidding. But, um, so I show up, tour release party, huge mansion somewhere in, 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 in Nashville, um, gated community, huge, huge mansion. I ring the doorbell, the people inviting me open up, hand me a beer, show me the smoking corner, and I just fell apart. Like, well, this, you just, you, is this a trap? <laughs> you, you sent me this contract. I just signed it. Why the hell would you do this? Why would you offer me the things that I just, you made me sign not to do? Oh, we're just doing that to, to, to be covered and protected in case someone, um, you know, catches you doing something. It's not that literal. It's like, oh, <laughs> so you mean you will just throw me under the bus <laughs> if I get caught? Wow. And it's just like, yeah, I can't, this is just not how I want to live my life. Wow, interesting. So I didn't realize it was that, I didn't realize it was duplicitous in black and white. Yeah. Wow, Yeah. that's pretty crazy. I mean, I always knew that was, there yeah but i didn't realize that it was actually it's that bad it's it's that bad and i mean and these are people Holy i crap. like right these are sure I, mean, I i appreciate these people yeah and i'm not trying to talk bad about them it's just the culture that they live in and that how they do business and um it's just not mine yeah well you know when when the contemporary christian music hit in the 80s you know which is when i started listening to it and i was i was a teen young and you know very young adult and uh i remember i mean that stuff was floating around to where like like that why i destroyed my all my rock albums was all around and it's like you like even like if if bob dylan came to jesus then the christian community didn't want bob dylan to do his secular music anymore they want him to do slow train running right you know yeah or whoever, yeah. if anybody came to Christ, then all of a sudden you're supposed to do all Christian music. You don't do any secular music right. anymore. And I, I, you know, honestly, I, I liked Christian music and I liked secular music. Yeah. I got rid of my rock albums for a little while and it wasn't very long before I wish I had them back. 
And it finally became like, I don't know I, how often I've bought Guns N' Roses Appetite <laughs> for Destruction because I bought it, then someone preached, got convicted, threw it away. A month later, bought it again. I think that's why they sold 30 million copies. <laughs> Call the um, Christian because kids. the Christians' kids just kept throwing it away. Oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if like the publishing and record companies back then of like the Black Sabbaths and, and all those bands that were banned by the Christians, if they paid the preachers to ban them. You wonder. Because it's the best marketing ever. It's like The Onion. Yes. <laughs> Are you familiar with The Onion? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> it's a, well, it's a magazine that these guys put out from the University of Wisconsin for mm -hmm. years. And all they do is write yeah. like, like alarming false information. Yeah. Like and run them like, and it's all, it's it's intentional. Babylon but, B for but for Yeah, but a, right? but a lot of the, so the Christians then get a hold of these articles in the onion mm -hmm. and they, they run them and try to raise money off them because they're the enemy and, yeah. they, and it's completely fabricated. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, you wonder, I mean, yeah. it's such a huge marketing, like there's literally a market to get Christians riled up against something. Yes, absolutely. Right? absolutely. I mean, it's a huge market. And to get the teenagers then to want it. <laughs> That's the plan of Harry Potter from the yeah. very beginning. <laughs> I remember I had parents coming to me in the 90s like, do we let our kids read Harry Potter? And I mm -hmm. said, well, why don't you read it with them and just talk about it? Yeah. yeah. It's like. <laughs> and back in the 80s, it was for me, it was it was Tolkien. It was, you know, The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Well, that's a cult. You know, that's evil. Well, then the Christians figured out that Tolkien was a friend of C friend of C.S. Yeah, Lewis. So now it's OK. And now it's OK. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. What a mess. Yeah. What a mess. God help us, right? Yes. Yes. And maybe just some common sense. Maybe just some common sense. Yeah. yeah. And maybe just some... Way too uptight about the wrong things. Yes. Absolutely. Mm. Man. Well, interesting stuff. So, um, tell us just a little bit. I know you connected with Paul Coleman. And you guys... When, when did you guys connect? And you, you toured quite a bit with him, right? Yeah. For over a decade, probably. We met, <laughs> we met in uh, 2004. Um, I was driving up to a gig and just had an atrocious conversation with a Nashville American music industry Christian and just was very upset. And so I showed up at this mini festival in this silo in the south of Germany, and it you know had the, the lineup there, and it said Paul Coleman, Nashville, Tennessee, and I was just when I read that, I mean I didn't know him, I had no idea what he's doing, um, I was just pissed, I was just mad, and that middle finger was on my forehead again. So when people said you need got to meet him, he's so great, he's so great, and I said sure he is. So I walked up to him backstage, he was very kind, you know, but the first thing I said to him was the worst thing I could think of is about his, about his mother. Like literally, I've never done this before, never done it since, but I just, the first thing was just a verbal, the worst slap I could think of. And he just slapped right back saying something even worse. And so I just <laughs> smiled, he smiled, we hugged each other and we were friends ever since. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, we 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 did some projects and protest songs um, that we've written that um, 
we we wanted to start this thing called the Mighty Misfits because yeah, it seemed like the that's German, what we were. Right? Yeah, and yeah. Um, but what we actually did a lot was Christmas touring because it was in um, St. Paul and Santa Claus where we just did like up to a month or six weeks of touring through Europe, um, doing our duo Christmas program. Um, that was always fun. Huh. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I'm trying to think what uh, you. When did you move back to Kansas City, or when did you move to Kansas City? What year was that? Um, two thousand. I moved here in, in two thousand thirteen. I was here okay. for a while, uh, visa permitting, um, in two thousand twelve. Um, but I but I couldn't stay. I couldn't move yet. So that's when we then applied for the visa after that. Okay. When did you meet your wife? I met her. Um, I want to say it was 2009. I mean, as in I met her, that sounds like we were immediately started dating. No, as in we met as people and then years went by until um, we started circling one another again around that time, 2012, late 2012, um, and became a couple in 13, which was complicated because I had just decided the visa was there to move to Kansas City and she is from the south of Germany. And um, so we had a very long, um, I think it was Skype conversation, not that it matters, where this was before she wanted to officially be boyfriend, girlfriend, where she had a four pages long list of questions and conditions to the relationship, which I couldn't eat enough food for the amount that I wanted to vomit about that, because it just seemed like this is this, this is just silly. Um, wow. Turns out it isn't, because many things that we run into now, we've talked about back then, so she was smart. Um, <laughs> I wasn't. But I had two things that I could put on my, well, I have a list I too. That, I need that page of questions yeah. right now in my life. <laughs> I, I know where I'll apply that. Well, I'm sure she still yeah, has it. Yeah, yeah. You tell her. Tell her. I need. Fred needs those questions. Well, I had I had two things on my list. One was I have a past. Can't change that. The second is I'm moving to Kansas City. So if you want to take this serious, you have to at least consider moving there as well. And so then we had a two two and a half year long distance relationship until we finally got married. Very cool. Very cool. So prior to meeting her. Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to think about, um, how to ask this, but you went through a pretty dark period of time at some point. I was in Scandinavia a lot and it's dark during the winters. I'm just kidding. Yeah, um, that too. Yeah. But no, you, I like, there was quite a, I don't, I don't know how long of a season it was for you. But I was, you, you I was, went through a pretty dark yeah. depression. Would you call it kind of like a. I was diagnosed with burnout and depression in 2010. Okay. Um, I want to say, I mean, it's depression. It's not something that just, you know, you don't, you don't catch it like COVID, right? It's, um, there's a crescendo that gets there. It's, there's just a moment where it kind of maybe explodes or there's a moment where you just can't hide it anymore. Or there is a moment where finally someone looks at you and says, you need help or, um, you know, there's, there's, yeah. believe so me, I, I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to say I probably had been depressed 
um, f- four or five years before that. Um, and just probably through self-medication, through um, hurting myself, through experience hunting, um, distractions is what I'm I'm trying to, I think that's what I'm trying to look for, that word. Um, tried to cover up. And then 2010, it just resulted in panic attacks that I couldn't control anymore, that I couldn't hide, where I wasn't able to function. Um, and we're th- thankfully there, um, I was able to call um, a, a family friend who's a doctor. And thank God I took that step and didn't try to self-medicate more. Mm. Um, was that a, a doctor here in America or no, that in was, Germany? That was in Germany. Okay. Yeah. And um, he could hear in the tone of my voice what was going on, you know, called me into his office. And then we... We talked about medication. Uh, we talked about lifestyle or perspective changes. We talked about taking time off. I had to cancel a lot, a lot of concerts. I had to cancel. I mean, I had, a, I just had released something. Basically, I had to, the entire promo of that album. I had to cancel. Um, it was, it was miserable. Yeah. Um, but it also taught me a lot. It taught me. Um, I mean, one of the things when you when you're self-employed and when you are just kind of hustling and trying to, you know, especially in music or in arts, trying to chase the dragon, you know, the next big success, and it's always, you know, that carrot in front of you. Um, the question of how much could I do versus how much do I have to do? That might sound lazy, but there's like how much money could I make versus how much money do I have to make? Um, changes your perspective because, I mean, I I do enjoy the American capitalist society where it's like, yeah, I mean, anything goes. I mean, if you can try to start something new and you can hustle, do three, four jobs, um, you know, to somehow live that American dream, I get it. I'm not saying it's wrong, but if it takes a toll on your mental health, maybe the question should be, um, how much money do I have to make? Not how much more could I make? Um, And so that downscaling that maybe I don't have to chase the dragon anymore. Maybe, maybe I can be content or satisfied with, with this and not look at what I've achieved and hate myself because I haven't achieved this. Um, And maybe actually have some sort of healthy pride. Hey, I've done this. This is good. Mm -hmm. This is okay. I don't have to compare myself to somebody else who right now is making another zero on top of it. Yeah. So you're, so for you, some of the key things that helped you recover would have been one, the, was it a a therapist doctor type person that you were seeing? Um, Two, was it cutting back? And re- reorganizing your priorities, it sounds like. Yes. Now, the what mis- about friends and relationships? Well, there? I was just going to say, I, I don't recommend this. I did not see a therapist officially. I have friends who are therapists that I hung out with and where I could call them anytime. Um, so that's what I did. Now, 
that's a luxury situation that is way cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, um, had I not had these relationships, therapy would have been the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was just a, a shift of what am I looking at? I was like, you know, you can, in your entire life, you can, you can choose to look this way or that way. And um, you, can, you can choose to look at something in, in a glasses half full or half empty way. And it's the conscious decision to turn your head away from where, you know, it goes off the rail. Now, having said that, um, I am not healed of depression. That is, that's always going to stay there. That's, that's something that comes in waves. That's something that my wife knows this and that we've, we've had this in our marriage where I had to take her aside and say, hey, it's, you know, the, the ugly heads coming here again of, of the, that darkness. And, um, but it's, now I'm not hiding it. I'm surrounding myself with people who I trust and who I can talk to about it. And that often um, takes takes a lot of the edge off already. It takes because it's it's you know that darkness yeah. when 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 you have when you surround yourself with people um, and are able to to share it in a mm-hmm. way, it, it loses some of, some of its terror. Yeah. Um, a good friend of mine once said about depression um, that it's like an old friend from school, one that you didn't like, one that's destructive, mm-hmm. who's knocking on your door and he's not gonna go away until you let him in. Mm-hmm. And what are you gonna do? The good thing is you can let him in, but you kinda have to, it's gonna come in. It's, he's gonna knock the door down if you don't, but he's gonna leave again. And you can invite more friends to come over and sit there with yeah. you and it'll be okay. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Because yeah, if I if I remember right, that season in your life, not only the burnout from the from all the uh, touring you were doing, but I but if I remember, there were there were a couple of really really difficult relationships that yes sort of melted down, right? Yes. Yeah. So, man, talking well, about this, I wish this weren't coffee. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well. But you over so you've been married now for what? Oh my goodness, it'll be seven years soon. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That doesn't even seem possible. Yeah. Wow. Seven years. Have two beautiful kids. Yes. Yes. How what are their names? Kean and Emma. And I love them dearly. And I so wish I could sleep through the night. <laughs> <laughs> How old are they? <laughs> Uh, Kean is three and Emma's going to turn one in just, what is it? What's today? Two weeks, less than two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, beautiful family. Love your wife, Denise. And um, so fun. So the last years that you've been here in Kansas City, you've been doing uh, production. You've been doing songwriting. You've been uh, connected with Vineyard and the worship ministry there. Yeah. just just a bunch of uh streams of of work and ministry and whatever you want to call all that i mean obviously the 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 pandemic has 
put a stop to many things that I did. Like even the production side, you know, there's me producing bands necessitates that these bands go on tour, right? Mm -hmm. So even if I can't tour and say, well, now I can produce, you know, I need clients who can go on tour. Right. Um, but anyway, I mean, there's, I think it's about flexibility. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not worried. Um, there's always something out there that one can do. And actually, I mean, I've done more than, than before the pandemic, as in it's, 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 it's all good. Yeah. What projects are you currently working on? Is there? Um, right now, I am finishing two albums. One is um, for an artist in, from Minneapolis, um, Justin Law, who you know. Yes. And the other one is a band down in Austin um, that I worked with early fall. <clears throat> when the final stage is for that. Um, and then there's some other things on the side. Um, but yeah, those are the two major things that I need to get off my plate Yeah, really soon. Okay. <laughs> awesome. How would people find your music? Huh. Well, <laughs> one of the things that my mother did not consider when she <laughs> named me was that people need to be able to say Alexa play songs by Klaus Piambua that's difficult for people to say and for her to understand. Um, so probably right here, if you do the spelling, if you could you could put it right here, I'm sure that's possible somehow digitally, right? Matt? Of, of my name. <laughs> then um, then you, can, you can find that on the YouTubes and internets and there's a plethora on Spotify. C-L-A-A-S, P period, J-A-M-B-O-R. Yes. And um, yeah. yeah, it's every major streaming platform um, yeah. has it, has something. So, so many great songs that you've written. Thank you. And uh, I, I was having fun as I was getting ready for this interview, just to, I was kind of re-listening through your whole, your whole deal over the last few days. And yeah. uh, just, gosh, I was, you know, it took me back uh, many years all the way up to, you know, your current stuff uh, that you did, your eight album yeah that you released a couple years ago yeah fun stuff i love you know what i love that cold water song yes that's a beautiful i love the imagery of that um and then you and paul did a song on that eight album mm -hmm. that i thought was excellent in your name yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was kind of like a song grieving all the crap that's gone down yeah. In the name of Jesus, that isn't anything like Jesus. Yeah. Kind of kind of song, but it's really, really thought provoking. Yeah. I mean, it starts with uh, we called those who disagree, made slaves with those you know who, who once were free. And it's and, and all that in your name, in your name. And it just goes down that. And it's, you know, we as Christians, me as an individual, but also us as 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 the body of Christ, you know, as Christians, uh -huh. um, have just hurt and destroyed so many lives by taking quote unquote truth, whatever we perceived as truth, and just using it as a sword and just chopping people to death. It's um, but then interestingly, you know, we, we change our mind about the truth a couple of years later and then we chop someone else to death. Um, and then we disagree with something and then we're chopped to death. And it's <laughs> it's just this entire thing is we need to stop yeah. using that sword. Um, 
and, and hurting one another. Yeah. I'm all about radical grace-based community yeah. these days. That's really, to me, that's the only place to, to live and be and hang out with those kind of folks. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's have you close us with a song on this podcast. One of your, one, one that you'd like to choose. What would you like to choose? Hey, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to choose it for you. So, right. uh, yeah, um, we're going to, we're going to shift, shift gears, let you get your guitar and let's, uh, let's close our podcast out with, with one of your songs. Sounds good. All right. Song starts. Down the street there's a little house with a yard where we used to play. We were kids, we were innocent, but then now we meet again and speak to me of wild ideas and say my name and then we'll fly to the stars fly to the stars and run away and fall in love for the very first time Yard where we used to play. 
slide to the stars fly to the stars fly to the Excellent. I love that song. Thank you. I've shared that with so many people. So thanks for joining us on Spirituality Adventures. And uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com and make a one-time donation, or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.